Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Joe Moss. I'm president of Embassy National Bank, and Embassy National Bank is bringing you On the Money. It's our weekly radio show that helps business owners navigate through this uh, minefield that we have out there these days of both financial issues, uh, benefit issues, people issues, uh, everything. And uh, today we've got um, a real good topic and a real good guest. We're going to talk about medical insurance going forward under the Affordable Care Act. Um, And we've got in our studios today Keith Nabb, who is the president and owner of Affordable Medicare Solutions. Keith, how are you? Excellent. Thanks for having me. Give me a little idea, the customers a little idea of uh, what your company does. Well, myself and my staff of eight, we represent all of the major insurance companies that we have now for 20 years. And what we do is we help shop the policies people have or help them find the policies that they need. But this is an ongoing process, not a one-time thing, because the uh, policies now are changing yearly. And uh, your the your customer base is individuals, small business owners, uh, large businesses. So you're across the across the board. Yeah, our primary market has always been the mom and pop businesses, but um, it's it's amazing how the market has evolved over over the years. Um, a lot of small business owners, you know, f- learned how expensive group insurance had gotten, and so they started investigating individual insurance. So we're experts on both the group insurance, but uh, individual insurance is our primary forte, which is families, small businesses, children-only policies, et cetera. Good. And um, I guess it's an understatement to say that it's gotten really confusing, correct? It, it has, and um, it's unfortunate that even our, your CPAs and other people don't understand this, so you really have to rely on a, a really good insurance broker. Okay. Um, you know, you also, before we get started, you also go, you've got a website, easymedplan.com, and I was looking at that, and uh, there's some a really good brochure out there. It's actually uh, probably a PDF file or a white paper, whatever you want to call it. It's a really good... Um, uh, description of what some of your options are. So I um, encourage everybody to go out there and take a look at this thing. Yes, we, we had so many of the common questions and the confusion out there that we actually developed this small business guide to health insurance and posted it on our website. We'd be happy to email it to anyone that would like it. But it is at our website. You go to easymedplan.com. You go to the resources tab. Okay. Click on the Learning Center, and it's right there, and you can download it. Um, if you have any questions, you can call us. Our phone number and email is there also on the okay, website. Okay, good. All right, let's get into this thing. If I'm a small business, how am I dealing with this whole Affordable Care Act? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, one thing you shouldn't be doing is trying to be your own human resource department because that will take you away from what you do best, which is grow your business. So it is a big time uh, waste for a lot of people. A lot of people want to get out of dealing with benefits, but they don't know who to turn to. So if you find a really good insurance broker like our agency, then we can take all of that off of you and help you to understand and to get through it very quickly so that you're not wasting your time or your money. That used to be just dealing with one type of insurance. Now there's options for small business owners to either do a small business group insurance or to utilize uh, individual policies for their employees, and there's a pros and cons both ways. All right, so the going forward, I guess the cutoff is 50 full-time employees or greater? For the mandates? Yes. Well, the mandates apply to all groups, but the uh, penalties 
um, are surrounding on the group. The uh, employer um, penalty mandate starts at 50 and above, but it doesn't, it really this year in 2015 will start for 100 and above, and then for the uh, smaller groups will start in 2016. That may go away, but the mandate as far as what type of coverage people have to have is applies to individual and group insurance already. That already started January 1st of last year. So, okay, well, let's, let's try to break this down. If I've got uh, a company with 50 employees or less, mm-hmm. um, am I required to have a health policy for my employees? No, you're not required to. Okay. So if I'm an employee and I want to get health insurance, I have to go out on my own and do that? Well, your employer can provide, as an employer, you can provide the group policy. Uh, and there's an affordability factor that is uh, in the law of whether or not the employees can afford the insurance. And if they can't afford it, then they can go out and get subsidies. But if they can afford it there at work under this uh, rule, then the employer plan is what they have to take and they can't go get subsidies. You can always go buy your own plan, but they've gotten expensive without the subsidies. Okay, so uh, less than 50 employees. I don't have to provide a plan, but I may wish to. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's a smart thing to do, and I can pass that cost on to my employees, and that em- and that employee cost uh, would be subject to a subsidy if the but only on the outside. Well, if it if it's more than nine and a half percent of the employee's income, the, yeah. the amount that you're requiring them to pay, then they can go outside and get subsidies. But if it's if it's considered below nine and a half percent of their income their wages and salary, then they um, can't go get tax subsidies. Okay. Now, the problem is is that you only have to pay 50% of the employee's cost as the employer. So that leaves a lot of times dependents that where they're having to pay 100% of the group insurance plan premium, and a lot of spouses and children don't participate in group insurance because it's too expensive for them. It is called the family glitch in the law. Forbes magazine had great articles on this. The family glitch means that even though the employee can afford it, but the dependents can't, the dependents can't go get subsidies out on the uh, Obamacare exchanges. And so that's a real problem in the law. And a lot of people have signed up for their spouses and children to go get insurance. Getting a subsidy, they're going to get a rude awakening from the IRS when that subsidy is charged back to so them. So that income doesn't count down to them. That's no, interesting. It's only on the employee. Yeah. Only on the employee. Now, if, a, if, I, if I'm an employer under the 50 and I do offer a group policy, I, that policy's got to cover everything now. Yeah, it has to cover the essential benefits, that's correct, which is including now mental health care and maternity, and there's a whole slew of, uh, of essential benefits. And, and some of that got contested, I guess, with the Hobby Lobby thing, but that sounded to me to be kind of murky, so I'm not sure what that uh, ruling came down to say. Yeah, the strange thing about the Hobby Lobby was they were talking about contraception, and Hobby Lobby covered, I think it was 17 out of the 20 contraceptives. They just weren't going to cover the three they considered um, distasteful to them. And uh, the Supreme Court ruled in their favor uh, because it was a closely held company, which, you know, family, uh, Hobby Lobby is a family held company. But if it was a large McDonald's or someone like that, they, they wouldn't be able to fall into that. But if I'm a small company under 50 employees and I offer a policy, I guess there are certain things that I could opt not to include in the policy it would be very difficult it It sounds like you'd have to have a lot of oomph behind that wouldn't you yeah it's really and people are getting to the point where they're saying why am i involved in this why don't i just go ahead and give my employees the ability to go buy the the plans themselves so that i'm not determining which plan they're on or what it covers or anything i'm sort of getting out of that business and it there's very uh the irs has made different rulings but if you do it the right way under a section 105 
health reimbursement program, then you can do that with your employees. But if you're just going out there and paying for your employees' individual health policies, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Okay, though that, that makes sense. So you you um, if an if you just say, okay, you guys go do your own, and I'll help subsidize it then there's a tax potential tax implication. It bad, and also penalties of the employer. You have to do it correctly. It's a very, very detailed process. And the Small Business Guide to Health Insurance explains that. If you do it under Section 106, where your uh, health reimbursement or uh, uh, HRA situation, you're wrong. If you do it under an HRP, Section 105, then currently it's okay. The IRS may also rule that that's not okay, but right now it is. And uh, there are providers that provide software to be able to keep you compliant through HIPAA, Privacy Act, and the IRS compliance. Is it cheaper for the individual to go out on the exchange than for the employer to provide it? Um, in the case of subsidies being involved, it can be a huge, huge difference. Okay. You know, we have families that have a $1,200 premium, but they're only paying $200 because they fall within these subsidies. And so that's an enormous savings. And then the employer can also manage their budget because they're not uh, paying 50% of an employee's cost. They're just paying a fixed rate mm -hmm. reimbursement. So they might say to the employee, I'm going to give you $200 a month. Well, under group insurance, if it goes up 50% next year or 20%, then your 50% that you're paying on the employee then would go up, right? Mm -hmm. And so by having a fixed budget amount, it's easier for the employer to budget. So um, what on the, on the company with less than 50 employees, and they've got a group policy, um, and if they're just going to keep everything the way it is, what kind of premium increases are we going to be seeing? Well, it's an, a, a neat phenomenon going on right now in small group is that, that a lot of small groups used to be rated up a lot based on their health history. And so if you have a plan that's been in place for three or four years and you got rate increases based on the health of your group, well, you need to shop that now because the rates are, might be a lot lower for your group. Even though rates in general have gone up, but your group may have been be getting overcharged over the last couple of years based on maybe you had some people that had bad health problems, heart, heart problems or whatever. So it's actually an interesting time to shop group policy. Sometimes people see a big rate decrease. Now over the next five years that may not hold anymore, but right now that's a, a counterintuitive intuitive situation that's happening. All right. Uh, this is uh, Joe Moss and you're listening to On the Money brought to you by Embassy National Bank. And we're talking about um, um, health policies uh, with uh, Keith Nab, who is president and owner of Affordable Medical Solutions. And um, Keith, let's talk about these group policies, because if you're in an industry you, and, a, and that industry has put together a group policy, you can participate in that. Is that correct? There, that was more common before, where you might see the dental association providing a, a plan or the bankers association, that type of thing. Uh, because there was some advantage by putting together a thousand people into a group and doing that, but a lot of that is really that effect is is sort of going away, and also a lot of times in those large groups, what happens is it's a good deal up front, and then three or four years later, as the rates go up, the healthy ones spin out, and you leave an adverse selection in there, and then it kind of blows up over time. Okay, so um, if you're in a, uh, you know, I'm in the banking business, so I get a through a group, uh, Georgia Bankers Association, and. So what you're saying is that that may not be a benefit going forward. Well, there are discounts that would always help uh, through the Chamber of Commerce. There's programs and things, and through the Bankers Association, you may be able to have a negotiated discount so that if you even went out and shopped it, you might be able to save 2% or something, and they might give a because you're in that affiliation. But the, there are better strategies now because there's no underwriting anymore. So if you have a, a group mm. of people 
there's really no underwriting, virtually no underwriting. Okay. Um, let's talk about over uh, 50 employees. Um, now, that goes into effect in 2016. 16. That's where they've, they've pushed that one out, which, again, is a, a contention in Congress that, that they keep changing the law as they go along. It was supposed to already be in force, but it's not. The large group starts January 1st, 100 and above, of 2015. Small group, 50 to 99, starts January 1st of 2016. And if, if you're in that category, then you have to provide insurance? Is that the way that right. works? There are penalties if you don't. There's also penalties if you don't provide affordable and somebody goes out and gets subsidies that you can also have a further penalty. All right. So if um, I've heard companies saying, I want to get out of that business, I'm just going to not offer it. But now they have to offer it, it sounds like. Right. And then also if you have multiple locations with common ownership, they add all those together. And so there are. it's very difficult to to parse out and get below that 50 number. Um, and there's also calculations. It's not full-time employees. It's, it's full-time equivalent. So that actually you exempt a certain number. It's a 30. The first you get to exempt, and then you get uh, your penalty start above there. Uh, it's a little complicated for the show, but I can explain that to you. So um, how many, I've often wondered this, how many actual payers are out there? I know there are a lot of people that sell policies, but how many actual insurance payers are out there? The insurers themselves? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a, Georgia's got a robust market. We're totally different than, let's say, Alabama. Alabama is dominated by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama, you know, 70%, 80% of the market. But Georgia's got a very robust market, and we've been very attractive. Um, so it, um, it, we've got, you know, all the major names are here. Uh, in the exchange this year, for people going to buy an exchange, there was a very small number, but it's getting ready to uh, double or triple uh, for in November when we open up the exchanges again for open enrollment. Um, now, Georgia did not do their own exchange. They opted to the federal That's side, correct? correct? Mm -hmm. So um, that means that all the big companies are going to be offering a policy through that federal network? Um, they don't have to, Okay. Uh, but we're expecting that there's going to be about eight, I think, is the number we're looking at, um, of different flavors in there. In that, uh, So some might be HMOs, some might be PPOs, et cetera, so there's different uh, options there. But outside of that, you know, there's the on-exchange where you get subsidies, and then there's the off-exchange, which means sort of the regular market. Um, we've already got right now eight or nine that you can choose from off-exchange. But okay. on exchange means that you're actually seeking that subsidy to get your insurance price be lower. So you're not required to if you're if you're for, for the individual, how is the how's the process been for the individual? Has it been what they expected? <laughs> no. It's okay. been miserable. Okay. It's absolutely been miserable. And last year we actually put on our social media and in letters to our clients to not even expect to try in October. Then we told them not to expect in November. So we started really writing people onto the new plans in December. And they extended it further and further. We actually wrote people into May. Um, this year, the exchanges open up on November 15th, supposedly, if they don't delay it, and end February 15th for the open enrollment, which means you don't have to have any special reason. You just can go enroll. Okay. Um, and when you say you – do you help people do that enrollment? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're certified brokers, and we're federal, uh, federal facilitated uh, uh, marketplace uh, people that we can actually go and assist and take care of the so whole thing. So an individual that, that needs insurance – they don't have to go and try to figure all that th out themselves. Yeah, it's a no-brainer because it doesn't cost them anything to use our services. All of our services are always free. 
And so we actually go and, and we help them not only get registered to be able to get their identity on the exchange so that they can actually enroll, but then actually make recommendations of which plans. And you may have heard of things called people called navigators. Well, they're not, actually, they're not able to recommend plans. They mm-hmm. might help somebody get their account set up and say, okay, you're here, but they can't recommend plans or tell you the differences between them. They're, they're not allowed to do that. Okay. We are. We're, we're, we allowed, we're allowed to do it top to bottom the entire process. So, so it could be that an individual comes to you and there may be a plan uh, that, that is better for them than another mm-hmm. when they sign up through the exchange. Yeah, it's amazing. People will buy on price, but there might be a $10 a month difference where they can have a thousand more doctors on a plan, but they don't know that. And a lot of times people just choose the cheapest plan and then they go to use it and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't have my doctors in here. I don't have the drugs covered. People make huge common errors. We see it all the time. And even our own clients have said to us, you know, gosh, you know, I thought I could handle this because they said on the news, don't do this. And then they call us, say, can you handle it? We handle the whole thing because that's what we do. And, um, in the before affordable care, um, all insurance law was covered within the state. So all the insurers had to be licensed state by state. Yeah, that's correct. And so if I was a insurer in uh, Georgia and I wanted to have a catastrophic plan of some sort, I wasn't able to offer that in another state unless I was actually licensed in that state and if it was allowed in that state. Right. The insurance commissioner at each state would have to approve the product. And so the national exchanges kind of helped undo all that. Is that correct? The law did. The law said now we're not going to have state-by-state mandates. We're going to have national mandates. Okay. So the, the, the state has disappeared, but what's come in is, is the mandate that all policies have to have certain things. Well, Commissioner Hudgens wouldn't appreciate you saying that his department has disappeared. Uh, he's still very much involved in all of the, th- the things. And uh, his, I'm not going to speak for them, but what they do is they make sure that people's uh, consumer, uh, if there's fraud or there's claims problems or they're being abused by an insurance company, they're there. They still do have to approve for insurance companies to do business in Georgia, but the companies have to have their policies, their, their have to be approved by um, HHS Federal Marketplace. Okay, okay. Um, boy, this is, I think it sounds a little more, a lot more confusing than it needs to be. Uh, yeah, I think we're. <laughs> I think the good news out of this is we're not a single pay, uh, single payor uh, insurance plan yet. But I guess that's where my, all this might be going. Yeah, I definitely don't want to have the politics involved in this. But when you see things become nationally mandated and you see um, rules being top down instead of from uh, innovation uh, bottom up then that leads that that would be easier and easier over time for uh, more things to become under federal control rather than uh, state control where they can be more innovative. You, you mentioned something uh, earlier. You said that if I buy a policy for my children, mm-hmm. my children cannot qualify for the subsidy. Um, if you have a group insurance plan available to you at work, whether you participate or not, okay, you can't use subsidies even for your kids. Um, off exchange. Okay. So if, but if I, it, as an individual, I go out there and I just buy a pol- I can buy a family policy, correct? Yes. And then I would still be, um, uh, I still could get the subsidy if I qualified. Yes. If you qualified only, if you have a group insurance plan at work, 
it would have to be unaffordable to the employee. Okay. Okay. Now, if you didn't have a group insurance plan at work, yes, go out. And if you qualify, you can get a subsidy every day long. Okay. But if somebody has access to group insurance, whether they participate or not, that disqualifies them from getting a subsidy on the Obamacare exchanges, the Affordable Care Act exchanges. That's interesting. It's, um, a, it's called a family glitch in the law. And yeah, even, even okay. my uh, someone I respect, Clark Howard, actually said that wrong on his radio show. Um now, here's a, a growing demographic. In fact, I'm getting close, but not that close. Uh, what's going on in the 65-year and over group? Uh, it's exploding. So we've got all of our baby boomers turning 65 now. We also have an explosion of Medicare disability, where people that are under 65 are getting on Medicare through disability. That is an enormous explosion. We had 3 million a few years ago. We're up to 9 or 10 million mm -hmm. uh, through that. And so... When you're an employer and you have uh, people that are over 65, well, that sort of counts against you on the uh, small group insurance. And so um, it's better if you can get them onto Medicare supplements, Medicare policies, and do those things. But if you do it the wrong way, then, again, you, you would be subject to uh, potential penalties and uh, uh, problems with taxes. Can you treat those employees differently under your group plan than other employees you're not supposed to no. okay and you're that's a discrimination factor so is that is there an incentive not to hire the 65 year old employee i would say maybe in the past but if you structure it right it, it doesn't matter it if you do if you do your benefits correctly it won't it won't matter at all uh to you because you'll treat everyone fairly uh, for example, if you had a business plan and somebody's getting insurance through their spouse at her business or his business, and they're not participating on your group plan, well, that's kind of unfair to that person because the other employees are getting a benefit, and the person who said, I don't want your benefits, is not getting anything. So there's actually some unfairness built into the whole system right? Uh, traditionally. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the, talk about the health reimbursement arrangement uh, and the employer-paid health insurance. Well, it has to come under a Section 105 Health Reimbursement Plan, HRP. So do not confuse this with Section 106 HRA. Um, it is the, the Section 106 has been disallowed. The Section 105 is still allowed, and it's where you can actually reimburse. You do not pay your employees' premiums. They pay their premiums. They come back and say, hey, I've paid my Medicare premium or my insurance premium, whatever they have. Maybe they're paying at their spouse's work at, at, at his or her job somewhere else. They bring you that proof, and then you reimburse them a set amount that you've determined, maybe $100 a month, maybe $200, whatever you, you choose. But it is a reimbursement, and it's premium only. You're not reimbursing anything else, and the employees are not contributing to that. It's a very, very uh, strict way to do it, and if you do it wrong, you can have um, – penalties and non-compliance issues all right well hold on just a second uh this is joe moss you're listening to on the money uh we're talking uh uh we're talking today about um health insurance with uh, keith nab of affordable medicare solutions and um we're, we talked about section 105 which is the health reimbursement arrangement and um so if i'm an employer let me get this right. And my one of my employees gets their policy from their wife's business. Mm -hmm. I can get my premium reimbursed if the employer elects. If you set up a Section 105 health reimbursement plan, then you could say, I will reimburse premiums for individual health, for uh, other group insurance, for Medicare plans. You can set that up with your rules, and they bring you the proof, and then you reimburse them. And so that, 
so I don't include them in my group policy. You wouldn't you wouldn't do this when you had group insurance. You would not do it. Okay, no. so if you've elected, if you're 15 under, you're elected. Hey, I'm out of this business. I'm sorry, but I will reimburse your piece of it with your uh, with your wife's employer. Yeah, that's this is a way to get if you don't want to do group insurance. Okay, and then that also then you treat every employee exactly the same. Okay, I mean even at my office, half the employees you know they have coverage with their spouses. Now would this would this health reimbursement also cover? Uh, if I went out to an exchange and got a policy for myself, or is it only uh, if my wife has a policy on her side? No, you can go buy an insurance policy. And then an employer can reimburse it up to a certain level? Right. You're reimbursing the premium. Uh-huh. Uh, so let's say someone had a $1,000 premium, and uh, the, they get a tax subsidy, and it brings it down to $500. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't reimburse anything more than the 500 because you can't reimburse anything that's subsidized. So you can reimburse the premium that the employee is actually paying, the person mm-hmm. is actually paying. Um, is that a taxable event to the employee? No. If you set it up correctly, it, it up is correctly. not. Okay. Yeah, that's, okay. that's the problem. If you don't set this up correctly, you're in trouble, and so is the employee. Um, where is this whole small business health insurance thing going? The prediction, a uh, very common prediction, is that in the next 10 years, the small group market um, will probably shrink tremendously because people will start to figure this out and say, well, why am I doing group benefits? We don't expect large group to change much. Um, we expect you know, large employers to still provide benefits as a way to do it. But if you have 10 employees and half already have insurance elsewhere and, and you're trying to figure out what to do with your other five, well, why, why go through the gyrations of doing a group insurance plan? There are better ways to do it, or you can do a group insurance plan if you'd like. Um, it, and just compare the differences and find out what's right for you. Um, but we expect the small group market to shrink considerably over the next 10 years. But but your company can help them through that whole process. Yes, that's correct. And then could you help the actual employee navigate through that to get make sure they get a policy? Yes, that's exactly what we do. We'd, we'd, we'd counsel and help the employer set up his processes correct, and then we'd help each employee do their enrollment. Is it going to be cheaper for the small business person to do it that way? Well, it depends on income because if you have a lot of employees that are going to qualify for subsidies, absolutely, it's okay. going to help out a huge amount. Okay. If you have a lot of high-income programmers or, or someone, it may not be much of a difference. So the idea then is to um, look to see if you if they won't qualify for the subsidy if I provide it under a group plan, but they'd apply for they they would qualify for a subsidy if all I did was reimburse their premium. Exactly. If you did not offer a group insurance plan, that then would free them up to be able to be qualified for getting subsidies. Now, their income then would be the second thing is do they qualify under the income requirements, which is 400% of federal poverty limit of modified adjusted gross income. The average person and even CPA doesn't understand that, and we can tell people, we can figure out very quickly what they're if they qualify or not. Yeah. I've actually had to teach CPAs. I'm teaching CPAs right now uh, how to figure this out. Well, um, you know, I, you're going to have to teach me how to figure it out, too. Um, I, is this going to be a competitive advantage for a em, small employer to offer a group plan, or do, will it matter? On the smaller employers, it generally it doesn't really matter what we've seen, okay? Um, it's the work environment. It's other things. It's an opportunity for advancement. But when you get up to the, you know, 20 or 25 and above, we see that as competitive advantage offering benefits. But in my experience over 20 years, it's that's not so much on the smaller employers. But if it's if I offer a uh, if I don't offer a group plan, uh, but I I offer uh, a reimbursed plan, mm-hmm. um, is th- is 
that considered negative to the potential employee if they're talking to someone that has a group plan? Or should it matter? It, it, well, the, the group plans used to be a lot more robust. When the, a lot of times the group plans we're seeing now that employers are offering have twenty five hundred or three thousand or four thousand dollar deductibles. So, you really have to compare the benefits because if it used to be this super deluxe coverage at IBM, well, it may not be super deluxe today because everybody has been raising the cost to the employees either through premium or deductibles considerably over the last ten years. So, whether I go group or whether I go exchange i'm just still going to get the same coverages you it you have to be careful to make sure you're comparing okay. your your drug formularies your doctor visits you're making sure that you are but yes the essential benefits will be there but just because one plan has essential benefits doesn't mean that they have your doctor doesn't mean they cover your specific medicine uh, there is some leeway on those uh, uh, parts of the plans but my group plan can offer extra benefits yes okay and so can so can even the uh the um, exchange plans, they're not really doing that right now, but there's nothing that prevents them from offering extra things. You can also add, uh, you know, vision and dental and things like that. There's actually an ability to add dental under every program, um, or it's included automatically. It depends on the plan. Group insurance, you can always do dental, vision, you know, uh, disability, et cetera, and we can always put those on uh, too. Well, I had, had thought of a question um, that uh, – is every plan now an Obamacare plan? Affordable Care Act compliant. That's the proper way of... Uh, okay, so every plan is sold as Affordable uh, Care Act compliant. That's right, unless you're in a special circumstance where you do what is called self-insured, and then you, can, uh, you have some different rules. But yes, in general, what you said is correct. Okay, so it doesn't matter what I want to buy because they all got to provide all that stuff. <laughs> that's right. I can't pick and choose anymore. Yeah, you can't go out and buy a $25,000 deductible plan anymore. You, well, you know, I heard someone talk about that and say, you know, sh people shouldn't have been buying those kind of plans anyway. They didn't really know what they're doing. Um, how would you respond to that? I, is that the same person that's telling you what car to drive? I mean, it's a personal decision. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where all this is. But, has but come I, down I have, on my own personal experience with my family over the last 10 years, saved about $50,000 by buying my insurance the right way. You know, I have a $5,000 deductible health savings account plan, and that has cut my premium at least $500, 400 to $500 per month. And um, I'd rather do that. I mean, I've, I've only had one appendectomy between the five people in my family. We've had one major thing in the last 10 years, and it's been $50,000 in savings. I'd rather take my kids on vacation and stuff rather than give them to an insurance company. Yeah, and then try to keep them healthy too, right? And they are. You yeah. know, for every family's different. Um, now, the... the the health reimbursement account that you just mentioned, um, health savings, account? health savings account, is this still out there? Yes, it is. And uh, has that changed? It it has some, but not much. Um, under the exchanges, on and off exchange, you can buy health savings account qualified plans. Um, they uh, the contribution limits are still uh, there, where that you can only contribute a certain amount for a family, a certain amount for an individual. Um, if you have an individual plan. So they're still there. There are elements in Congress that have been trying to get rid of those for the last 10 years, but they are there, and we're uh, placing people on them. When you have a health savings account plan, it is a pure deductible. You have to meet that deductible except for preventive care, mm -hmm. but you have to meet that deductible for drugs, doctor visits, and every medical care. But you can put aside in a separate account at where you've, uh, you can, there's different places to do that, where you can put aside your own money. It's not use it or lose it. It grows as, as to your retirement. 
that you can use for medical expenses. Um, and that's when you put that, that income is tax-free. The, the income is tax-free if used for medical care. Right. But also when you put it in, it's an instant tax deduction whether you spend it on medical or not. So if I put $6,400 in my account, that's a $6,400 I think they call it above-the-line deduction. It's a very desirable deduction. All right. So if I'm an individual then and I – and I, um, now, well, let me, I got two questions here. If I'm an individual then and I set that up, is there any limit as to how much I can set aside in my health savings account? Yes. Each year there's, there are limits okay. on there. And um, so, so from a planning standpoint, I figure out, okay, here's what I would have spent on a premium and I'm going to spend my lower amount, then the rest of it I'm going to put in my health savings account. Right. Is that the way you do that? That's generally correct, yes. Okay. Now, the next question is, if I'm with a group policy, mm -hmm. can I opt out of that and do my own health savings account? Um, there are, I believe, circumstances where you're allowed to do that. Uh, I'd have, I don't want to answer that question okay. I, uh, off okay. the top of my head. But uh, it sounds like over the next year or so, there's going to be a lot of discussion uh, within small and medium, uh, over 50, I'm sorry, under 50 and over 50 employees, under 100, where the, uh, the owners are going to get together and say, we've got a lot of options here. We really need to talk about this. Yeah, it's, it's becoming a real problem for them. And they would have to study about six months to, or maybe two <laughs> years to figure out how to do all that. So the obvious solution would be to call you. Yes, and if we have a, a major employer with multi-states and they've got special circumstance, then we also bring in other um, uh, resources to make sure that, that, that all avenues are considered. And, of course, bring in their CPA and uh, really make sure that we're doing the best we can for them. Well, it sounds for the 50 and under crowd – uh, 50 employees and under, if anything, it's gotten more complicated. There, it, there's a lot of choices, it sounds well, like. There was always a lot of choices, but I think there's more choices now. I think there's, there's more flexibility because there's no underwriting. Before, if you wanted to do some of the things I talked about and you went to do it and you had some employees that didn't qualify, well, then that would throw the whole idea out the window. But now there's really no underwriting. And so if you put together a solution, it's going to happen because everybody's going to get accepted. Uh, and before that wasn't the case because right. individual insurance was underwritten and you could be declined, whereas small group insurance was guaranteed issue. Now everything's guaranteed issue. Now what happened in uh, we were we heard a lot about this uh, in uh, when it first got started that uh, plans were getting canceled. Oh yeah, and we have thousands in, in our in our books that we have to replace before the end of the year. There's a very and, small uh, subsection called grandfathered plans, very small, two or three or four percent maybe that are able to keep their plans, but everybody else is going to have to become compliant. And it is, in my book of businesses, I think it's 90 to 95% we're going to have to re convert over to compliant plans before the end of the year. So there was some discussion of, of not requiring people to go to a new plan. Is that back on the table now? The president, again, allowed companies to do it if they wanted to. He kept saying, you know, because he got called on the carpet for saying, you can, if you have your plan you, you, you like, can you keep can keep it. it. But... That wasn't the case, according to the law. So he made an exemption and said you could you could keep it. But it's up to the insurance companies, and it's also up to the insurance commissioners. So um, here in Georgia, a couple of companies are allowing people to keep their individual plans, and uh, most are not. Now, why would they not, I guess, would be a good question. Because it's becoming an uh, administrative uh, and claims nightmare that you've got all these different beasts that these people are, their internal people are having to deal with, and it's just becoming so frustrating. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then 
so from an individual standpoint, that's an immediate change. I've, well, you said you've got how many policies you've got to convert over? Thousands. <laughs> and um, so they're still covered or not covered? Oh, they are. And they're going to be given uh, generally what we've seen from all the companies that they're giving them a migration pattern, which means that if you're on a non-compliant plan, they're going to end it and then they're going to offer you a compliant plan. Okay. Now, some, some companies aren't going to do that, but virtually everybody that we deal with is going to do that. But that may not be the right plan for you. They may just be saying, hey, we don't want you to be uncovered. Here, if you don't call us, you don't talk to your agent. We're following you into this one. We're migrating you over there. But most people need to shop it to find the right plan, especially they're not going to help you with subsidies. They're just going to move you into a compliant plan. But if you're eligible for a subsidy, you have to go out and do that process to get that tax subsidy. So if I'm not eligible for a subsidy and I'm a, a general a sole proprietor, um, and I go out, and I've got a family of four, wife and two kids. What am I going to be paying in a premium? Well, it depends on the age, but uh, for a family of four, we're generally seeing at the silver level somewhere in the thousand nine hundred to thousand dollar level at least. Okay, um, and that's that's Georgia. I mean, it's other states we're hearing much higher numbers. And then, uh, and what's the deductible on that? Is the deductible mandated as well? Uh, on the silver level, it, no, the deductible is not. Okay. Um, the out of pocket is uh, this year on uh, an individual maximum is six thousand three hundred fifty dollars, mm -hmm. and on a family it was uh, twelve thousand seven hundred dollars. I believe is correct, and that's going up a little bit for next year uh, to sixty four fifty. I believe is the new number, but. Every plan can be different. It's an actuarial value that they attach to what are called bronze, silver, gold, or platinum. It's not a deductible. So one company might have a silver plan with a $1,000 deductible, but a $6,300 out-of-pocket. Another company might have a silver plan. This out-of-pocket is only $5,000, and it might have a $2,500 deductible. So I know that's confusing to people, but there is no mandate. As there's an actuarial calculation that the insurance companies have to meet but there's no mandate on the plan deductible and the way that that works. No mandate on the out-of-pocket or deductible component? The out-of-pocket, there's mandate. Okay. But oh, you have to have that, but there's no uh, limit or uh, you have to provide some out-of-pocket limit? Yes, and okay. the out-of-pocket limits are different than they used to be. And under insurance, out-of-pocket would talk about your medical Mm -hmm. expenses and your drugs would be calculated separately generally okay and your co-pays you pay to the doctor wouldn't count towards your out-of-pocket maximum so under the new all ACA plans anything you spend to the doctor for a copay drug for a copay deductibles whatever you do now add up to a true annual out-of-pocket okay and it's generally sixty three hundred and fifty dollars okay for an individual so if I'm in if, if again if I'm in Georgia I'm going through the federal exchange if I'm in does Tennessee have a state exchange Give me a state that has a state exchange. <laughs> um, um, I believe uh, Washington uh, State was theirs did very well. I believe Kentucky's did very well. I but if I've got a, if I'm in Kentucky and they've got a state exchange, can I go to the federal exchange? No, it'll point you that when you go to the federal, when you go to healthcare.gov, it you put in your state and it'll either point you to the the Georgia equivalent or it'll point you to the state that is doing okay. it. So whatever, uh, when you go there, it actually redirects you. Okay. Well, um, but I don't encourage people to go there themselves because if it, an agent can do all of that for, with them and, and walk them through, because otherwise it, it becomes, it, it becomes very confusing right away. And it, it was, it was billed as though you could go buy a plane ticket very easily. Just go put in your information, you buy a plane ticket or, or whatever. Well, there's going to be a lot of differences on deductible, the number oh. of doctors, yes. uh, out of pocket, all that. 
Yeah, and even the application process as you, as you go through, you can trip yourself up by misreading the questions. There's a lot of questions through the uh, federal application, All right. and we we help people through it every day. So we know, and if they've got, especially if you've got an adopted child, or you've got a blended family, or you have some immigration where someone has a resident visa. I mean, there's a lot of places that people get tripped up very easily. Now, are you? Does the individual working with you? Do they have to pay you something? No, okay. all of our services are always no charge. Okay. Okay. Um, well, you know, we wanted to do this show to try to get an understanding of affordable <laughs> health care, and I th- I think it's helped, <laughs> but uh, it's also um, kind of opened my eyes a lot, too, because I think the under, you know, our bank deals with a lot of the under 50 employers, employees or under, and um, it seems like a lot of study is going to be required at that level. If you go out and try to figure this out on your own, it would be extraordinarily uh, mind-boggling. If you go to someone who's professional on it, they're going to distill it down very quickly for you. And so there's no need to, to have to, to, to learn all of these rules yourself. So um, what I would, if you're out there as a sole proprietor and you're looking for a plan, don't go do this yourself. you got to call Keith Nab. Uh, let them walk you through it. Uh, make sure you get the right thing. If you're an employer with 50 or less employees and you've got a group plan and you've decided that maybe I don't want to do that anymore, Keith can kind of help you through that whole exercise but still find a way to take care of your employees. Exactly right. And we can, we'll can we walk through the entire process. Because, because that company can still reimburse you for your premium. Um, and, if, if set up correctly. Yeah, if set up correctly. And... Uh, so that, that's a whole other option you have for someone that has fifty or less employees. That's correct. And you're not letting you you don't you're not letting your you don't have the feeling that you're just throwing your employees out to the wolves in terms of finding their own health health insurance. No, you have a person that actually comes in and takes care of them. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, so to reach our office, yeah, you, you can you tell can, them who you are, where they can find you, man. You can reach our office uh, at seven seven zero nine four five five two six one. Again, that's 770-945-5261 or on the web at easymedplan.com. And you can spell it either E-Z or E-A-S-Y. Either one will get you to our website. All right. And then um, uh, Keith can be reached at Keith at AffordableMedicareSolutions.com. That's correct. And uh, he's in Suwannee. Um, and uh, people don't think just deal over the phone. Is that that's that right. correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'd encourage individuals, uh, businesses with 50 or less, 50, and then businesses with 50 or more, um, or 100 or more. I mean, I think even in the group plans, there's going to be an opportunity to make sure you get that right, too, is what it's sounding like. Because mm-hmm. some of these big big umbrella group plans, like the bankers or the whoever else are out there, some of those are going to start getting a little squirrely, it sounds like. Yeah, that's a that's a whole other uh, show we could have, but if I was a small business owner, I'd really heavily consider whether or not I'd want to send five thousand dollars to an insurance company or put five thousand dollars into my advertising to grow my business. Absolutely, yeah. So um, don't go without medical insurance. In fact, you that's no longer an option. You got to sign up, um, and um, Keith can help you make it affordable. He can steer you through the whole process, including how to get the some of the subsidies that are out there. Uh, to help you afford the plan. So, um, Keith, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we'll do this again because I think there's more to talk about as we get 
further along. I suspect this thing was going to change a couple of times. And whichever uh, way the wind blows, the politi- yeah, politicians well, tend to change. You'll be it. there, right? I just <laughs> feel sorry for the insurance providers having to change their plans and all their forecasts and all that type of thing. With you know, based on the whatever changes come down. If we had faith it was going to stay exactly the way it was, that we could sleep better at night. But yep. we know there's going to be more changes. Yeah. Okay. Well. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, this again, this is Joe Moss. I'm president at Embassy National Bank. And On the Money is brought to you by Embassy National Bank. And we're here to try to help you navigate through the minefield of trying to be a small business person. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week. And as always, be careful out there.